morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad to see everybody's bright and shining faces up here today. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't have any announcements. Uh, just hope everybody's being safe, and just keep everybody in your prayers that that we uh, have a list for and on the website and and the world. And I mean, not necessarily the whole world, but. God's people in the world and so forth. Just keep them in your prayers. We need it right now. Let me start out by saying I totally understand everyone is extremely tired of hearing about the riots and coronavirus and, and all the lawlessness that's going on in our country. I get that. But I ask that you hear me out for just a few minutes today. Because I have a few things concerning the witness and warning is what we need to be concerned about or concerned with. And it involves a madness that we are witnessing out there in society today. And I, I believe everyone would admit that it's incredible the sights that we, we are witness to daily on, on the, the news and what's going on throughout our nation. The news is surreal because we wake up to something new, it seems like, every morning that's, that just adds on. And, uh, and I know a lot of people are asking themselves, and, and we should be asking ourselves too, is God's hand in all this? Is it? I mean, I, I'm just asking the question. And if the answer that you come to mind or comes to your mind is yes, then doesn't it mean that we need to apply some scriptures to this conversation? Doesn't it mean that we need to look more deeply into what God says about these kind of times and these things that are happening? In Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 9, I want to start there. I've heard this quoted a few times. Uh, in the last few weeks, and, and I think is probably an appropriate scripture for God's people to be looking at right now. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them. Now, right off the bat, he identifies who he wants this message to go out to, his people. And I, that's not a sermon for today, but I just wanted to emphasize that. So he says, when I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman. Now that's a very important position. Maybe we don't see that as important today as it was back then because the whole community's lives depended upon the watchman. The watchman had the lives of his family, his friends, his, his government, the whole city in his hands. If he fell asleep, it could be devastation upon the country or upon the land of the city, his family, everybody. So this was a very important position for someone to hold in those days, in those times. And it's much like if you were ever in the military and you were given a guard position 
or a post that you had to man, that post was very, very important most times. I remember I had to stand guard on the, the uh, uh, North Korean line, South and North Korean line at times. And that's one place you didn't want to fall asleep. And it's one place you didn't want people coming and going as they please. So those kind of positions are very important. And it goes on in verse 3 and it says, And he sees a sword coming against the land and blows a trumpet to warn the people. That's his responsibility. When he sees problems, he is to warn anybody within earshot, that there is, some, there is a, a disaster coming, there's danger coming, there's, there's something coming that could literally destroy the city or the people. Then if he, and it goes on, and then if he hears a trumpet, but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will, will be on their own head. So if he gives a warning, if he shouts and he says, and he blows a horn or whatever, he says, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and nobody gets up to do anything, it's not his problem. My guess is if nobody gets up to do anything, he's going to find the back gate. He's going to save himself. But I, just me, or he, he'll stand his watch. But he's, but he's not to blame. He, it does not come down on his head as to what is going to happen to that city or to those people. Verse 5, And since they heard the sound of the trumpet and did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. And if they heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. So if they would have heeded the warning, they could have saved themselves or would have saved themselves. But if they don't, they die. They're destroyed. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Now that's a very important few words right there. He says if we don't give witness and warning, if we God's people that are assigned to be watchmen, don't give the warning. We don't blow the trumpet. We don't say something about what's going on in society because we have a better perspective than anybody else in the world. It is our duty to sound the alarm. And he says, if you don't do it, you're going to be held accountable. That blood is going to fall upon you. Verse 7, he says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So he told him, he says, Hey, this is, this is your responsibility now. <clears throat> In verse 8, and he says, When I say to the wicked, You wicked person, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to, uh, to dissuade them from their ways, that wicked person will die for their sins, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do not warn the wicked person to turn from their ways and they do not do so, they will die for their sins, though yourself will be saved. So if you send out the warning and they don't pay attention, no problem. But if you don't say anything, if you sit back and say, and you get 
you know, you're standing on the wall and you, and you know the people are apathetic and they're not going to listen to you because somebody was up there, you know, last three nights blowing the horn because the dog was running out in the middle of the field or something. They're apathetic to everything that's going on. And they don't want to listen to the watchman. It's not your problem. But the watchman is to stand on the wall or the watchtower, wherever they're located, looking over the horizon for, a, for the very slightest hint of danger. That's their job. And they're to shout a warning and blow a horn of warning. The warning is to go out to everyone in God's city, in God's, or God's people. Remember, it started out that way. And it goes out to those who don't believe as well. Because they're going to hear the warning, they're going to hear the shouts, they're going to hear the trumpets, even though they don't believe in God, it will go out to them as well. Today, when we're broadcasting here, our message goes out to the world. If they don't listen to it, it's not my problem. Okay? It's not your problem. But if they listen to it, then it falls upon them. So if you're within earshot of the warning, whoever you are, you've been warned. Now, I get it. It's depressing today what's happening. It's depressing for me to have to, to put together a sermon dealing with this kind of thing. Even though, like somebody brought up just before sermons, I like to talk about current events. Thank you, I do. <laughs> but it's a fearful thing for the watchman any watchman, God's people, to see danger out there emerging just over the horizon and we start shouting witnesses and warnings toward the people and nobody listens. Oh, how many times we've talked about, you know, talking to people about God's truth and everything else and, and, and you know, and people seem to be interested and then they never show up. They never come to church. They never ask for a booklet. They never, they never pursue it. It gets frustrating. But we can't let our guard down. We can't stop because of that. That is not an excuse. So the question becomes this. If I, a minister of God, don't at least warn God's people and those willing to listen, am I in violation of God's will if I don't do that? Well, of course I am. You bet. According to Ezekiel, of course I am. Now, I consider myself a watchman of God, but here's another question you might want to contemplate. Are you responsible as well? Are you in God's church, are you watchmen as well? Well, yeah, you are. To be quite succinct about it, Each and every one of God's peoples as individuals are watchmen for God's work. And we have to evaluate and consider how we are going to give that whatever type of warning is necessary or witness that is necessary. 
Now, I don't mean that you have to be like Jehovah's Witness and go out there and beat on doors and spread out literature and things like that. It's not what I'm talking about, okay? But in John 16, 12, he says this. He says in John 16, 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So God says, Whenever your eyes and your ears are open, you're going to have some understanding. You're going to get the message that God wants you to get. Now, we're to take that and we're to give it to other people. That message, that, that information. However God has blessed you, you take that information and you give it to other, other people. Whether it's about the Sabbath, the holy days, food laws, whatever. Whatever position you catch yourself in, at any time, you will disclose that information. You don't hold it back. It's part of the witness and warning. And, I, and I'll give you a great example of it. I, when I worked for Time Warner Cable, they used to have these luncheons every once in a while. And they'd buy everybody pizzas. And they had to buy cheese pizzas because... I wouldn't eat pork. And lo and behold, of course, you know, everybody comes in there wants cheese pizza. <laughs> they don't want pepperoni, you know, so I, I have to really scuttle to get, the, get a couple of slices of cheese pizza. But they have to make exceptions, but that's a witness and warning. That is, tell, that is a way of telling people about God. So if you're in God's truth, then you have been given particular insights. You therefore have a responsibility to sound your own warning to those within earshot. Should a minister and a layman alike, should, should they ever hold back anything, even though they know their message won't be listened to? No, no, they shouldn't. We shouldn't hold back in, in, in the shadow of apathy or anything else. Remember what it said in Ezekiel 33.6. We just read it. It said, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. That's a very, very important Thing to remember. We are being held accountable. If we do not sound a warning that puts the responsibility for their lives upon the, the person's own, own self and not on the watchman. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. Habakkuk. I just noticed there's three K's in Habakkuk. That's interesting. 
It says, I will, in verse 1, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me, verse 2, and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet to be appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and will not fail, though it, it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come and will not delay. So what God speaks will come to pass. What God says will come to pass. And the, the inscription that we have today is, is the Holy Word of God, is, is the Bible. We have it. He tells us what's coming. So the Bible's part of the watchman's tools. So it appears God is working directly with those in God's church. And we are commanded to stand watch. And he says, inscribe it on a tablet, but it, we have the Bible. So that it's a warning for today and we're, we're ready with the written word of God to show it to the people that we are trying to give warning to. And we, we must remind those of what it says, whether they want to hear it or not. But there's more than just watching and waiting involved. Once you understand God's words and recognize the danger and your mind has been open, you have to do something with it. So I ask you, and, and in, in regards to this, I ask you to look at a parable that illustrates the requirements that, that are needed to be a proper watchman or a proper motivation for the watchman. Let me put it that way. If you'll turn to Matthew 25, verse 14. It says, in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and it says, For it is just like a man to go about a journey for, uh, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. One he gave five talents, another two, and another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Each man was given to his own ability. I, you know, I remember in the in times past when I was a young guy in, in, in position standing guard and stuff, there was a few guys in our unit that you didn't want to put up on the DMZ. <laughs> They just weren't that trustworthy. So you gave them minor spots or other duties, in, you know, in place of that. And it kind of reminds me of that when I read this, because you want to give each according to what he's able to do. You don't want to put somebody in a position that can't do it. And this is coupled with standing and being prepared. I t and, and I tell you this, because most, most people, really, in God's church, don't know what they're capable of. Not, and especially until God comes into their lives and starts working with them. They really don't. And I'm a prime example of that once again. I, I talk about myself because I know me better than I know you. <laughs> Okay, a prime example of that is before Virginia and I came into God's church, 
I was entirely satisfied with having a high school diploma and just sitting back and, and doing, you know, letting, you know, coming to church and letting everybody do, do all the work. I really was. I, did, I didn't care. But I found that the more I tried to do, the more I was capable of doing. And I attribute that by, to the hand of God. To him putting the spirit in me and working with me. Because I'd never stood before anybody prior to that and spoke to anybody about anything. Much less the, the scriptures or the Bible. So we, are, we have the capability within us. And, and if we don't, God can give us a spirit to help us get through it. Now, verse 16, it says, Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded them in and gained five more talents. He doubled his, his take. Very good. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two, two more. He doubled his. Very good. But he who received one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. That's, uh, that's like, just like the watchman who did not sound the warning. Because of the apathy. He made, he made justifications. He, he, he just didn't do anything with it. 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the, into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And also the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you've entrusted me with two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now here we go with, with the last guy. Verse 24. And the one who had received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, do not, uh, where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and you went away and hid your talent in, your, or hid your talent in the ground. See, you, you, ha uh, you have what is yours. So he gave him back what is it? He gave him back what God gave him. Well, is that enough? Just to be level, just to be equal, just to be, you know, well, I'm doing the minimum. But the master and answer, but the master answered and said to him, you wicked lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I, I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have take, it shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this story illustrates holding back. This story illustrates not doing your responsibility. This story illustrates what God has given us we are to work with. We're not to just keep it to ourselves. Like I said, 
some haven't the ability to do a whole lot, but still are required to do what they can. That includes witness and warning at the end times. And it doesn't take a genius or a theological professor to see the chaos and the lawlessness emerging all over the world and as a watchman and, and, and with a simple purpose and a simple job with even just the simplest spirit from God to look out over the horizon and say, we got problems, brother. And they are spiritual in this land. And, and God gave it to us in the most simplest illustration that we could ask for on how to determine what is danger and what isn't. In Matthew 24, verse 34. Matthew 24, verse 34. And it says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. And I got a couple of figs out here. I'll show them to you when you're done here. <laughs> Not actual figs, but I got trees. They're growing good. Anyway, it says, When its branches have already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. Huh? Uh-oh. There's that 25? No. Oh, okay. 32? Oh, I, okay, I'm sorry. I started 32. I ask your apology. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> anyway, it says, verse 34, where we're supposed to be. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these sins, things take place. Heaven and earth will, not pass, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My words will not pass away. But we, the world today has a tendency to say that God's words have passed away. God's words don't mean anything. God's words have been done away with. But anyway, throughout our world, and especially in our own nation, we're seeing and witnessing lawlessness running amok. Literally. We're seeing the typical insanity that occurs in riots where rioters break into locally owned, uh, minority owned businesses and steal everything that's not nailed down then set fire to the building. And video shows some of these geniuses with hammers trying to break into safes under registers, which they noted that were empty. And if that's not bad enough, then these upstanding citizens, they set fire to stores that, that serve the very neighborhoods that the people need to fill prescriptions, get their food, buy their furniture, do every kind of commerce that needs to be done. They're stealing cell phones that they can't use because they can't get them activated. And some of these fine folks are being caught doing some of the most heinous and offensive and things that you could ever imagine. And part of the problem is that, that's exacerbating this whole thing is, is a lot of these people are being caught, they're taken to jail, and then their bail is paid, or they're just turned loose because of political reasons. 
And then they go right back out and continue their looting and burning and beating innocent bystanders. All in the name of just one man who died at the hand of a corrupt cop. Or a few cops if you want to count the other three. They turn around and accuse the police of racism because the cop was kneeling on the neck of Floyd was white and he was black. But they fail to talk about how blacks have, more blacks have died at the hands of blacks than anybody else. And that never gets reported, or rarely does. And more blacks will die because of the violence being caused by these riots, which makes no sense, because they can't get their medications or they're killing each other. And a lot of the cops that are being killed and attacked on our streets in New York and so forth, they're black. But one man, we do all this in the name of one man. And there's been some of the most gruesome acts committed in the, against humanity in the name of this man. And I'm going to refrain from repeating them because they would just turn your stomach, some of them that I've heard. Then you have the race peddlers like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. And they love stirring the pot and they did it this time too. And they do it for their own agenda and self-aggrandizement. Nothing new there. So to be fair, it's hard to, to listen to Fox News when they put on certain religious representatives who appear from time to time and they talk about the religious aspects of this because they are so far off base it's not even funny. And they're there representing their beliefs and their views and they add nothing whatsoever to the, to the discussion. Now you might perceive that I have a lot of personal opinions and I do and I would love to express them but I feel I would probably be perceived as racist and I'm not. I just don't like what I see. And what outrages me, like so many others in our nations, is the politicians is allowing this to get out of hand. Governors and mayors not letting the National Guard in their city to protect the stores and the properties of these people. The police arrest these thugs and prosecutors refuse to prosecute them. Telling the police to stand down and let it all take its course. Then turning around and having the gall to accuse the president of the riots. I'm appalled. I'm angry. And I have a few experlatives I would really love to like, and like to add for good measure, but I know I shouldn't. And not because I'm racist, but because I see my country defamed and portrayed as something that I know it's not. All for the sake of what? I'm told a lot of these folks are God-fearing Christians, just trying to get justice for this man. I didn't know this man, never met this man. I don't know anyone that knew this man. But I do know folks affected by those riots and unrest, that hits home. It doesn't make me feel any more sympathy for George Floyd when I keep seeing that video over and over on TV. I get mad thinking folks are using this tragic death to steal, loot, and burn. 
as if some type of righteousness or justification to kill and murder the innocent are being shown and displayed to us. So at times I have to step back and remember the words of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the truth, from the faith, I'm sorry, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the means of hypocrisy of liars seared with their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbade marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. And by the way, he's not talking about eating pork and shellfish and shrimp and things like that. There was a, a, a difference in opinion about what you should eat and not eat during those times in certain churches. Some were vegetarians and some were, were not. And you didn't tell a Jew, well, you can go out and eat a ham now, and they'd just run out and kill a pig or whatever and start eating ham. They didn't do that kind of thing. But that's just a side note. But he says there'll be deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And we're seeing a lot of that today. We're seeing a lot of that come to fruition throughout our country and throughout our world. These doctrines have done nothing but throw gasoline on the flames of hate. Our world has been turned upside down for what? Social equivalence? Any person, I thought we had attained social equivalence. I really had. Any person in this nation, it, it, it seems to me, has the opportunities that any other person has. White, black, oriental, it doesn't matter. And more so today than any other time in our history, in any other nation in the world. We see, but instead we see good reviled and corruption celebrated. Why is that? It reminds me of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 5, 20 through 23. Let's see if I can get this one right. <clears throat> Isaiah 5, 20 through 23, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are right. And what do we see? What do we see? It, it, it's just all over the place. We see the good being, being tore down and we see the bad being elevated. We see politicians calling evil good, saying that we are witnessing normal behavior somehow. Well, this is all part of the duties of the watchman, in case you think I got away from that. <laughs> and part of our duty to stand guard and decry these events of lawlessness. We have to set the spiritual boat right as best we can. That's our duty. 
Even though the world is falling away from God at an ever-increasing rate, we have to stand our watch, do our duty. Amos, a minor prophet, spoke at times like this. And I'd like to read some of what he had to say. In Amos chapter 5, verses 13 through 22, <clears throat> Amos chapter 5, 13 through 22, it says, Therefore, at such a time the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. 14, he says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord of God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord, there is a wailing in all the plazas and in all the streets. They say, alas, alas, and they also call a farmer to mourning and a professional mourns to lamentation. And all the vineyards there is wailing because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. Now look at verse 18. Alas, you are longing for the day of the Lord. For what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? Now, we stand witness and warning. And the world is out there saying, well, God's coming. Jesus coming and we're going to all be raptured in a moment, in a single moment, and boof, we're going to be gone. We're going to get out of this evil situation. We're not going to be part of this evil old world anymore. And we pray for the day of the Lord. And he says, what are you praying for the day of the Lord for? What good is it going to be to you? I see ministers, so-called prophets, evangelists, telling the world God is coming and will rapture them away from all this evil that is in the world. They think they are standing witness and they're giving warning to the people. And what are they giving? They're, they're passing on the, the, the lies of the deceiving spirits. They tell them to just believe in Jesus and hold on. It's all going to happen. All of a sudden, like in these wonderful Christians, will just float up into heaven and no more cares. And they'll be leaving behind all the evil. But scriptures say something entirely different about this day. It will, he goes on to say, it will be darkness and not light. Oh, what are we told? What are we told? A glorious day, a wonderful day. But the prophecy says it will be darkness and not light. It will be a glorious day and a wonderful day for God's bride and His church, yes. But for the rest of the world, no. And it goes on verse 19, it says, And when a man flees from a lion... And a bear meets him or goes home and leans on his hand against a wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light? So if he thinks he's, he's going to the right direction and all of a sudden he meets death or danger in, the, in his path, it's, it becomes all of a sudden it's, it's, it's darkness, it's not light. It's horrible, it's not wonderful. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light? Evil gloom with no brightness in it. 
I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, and I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatling. The day of the Lord is not going to be what the world hoped for. What they're thinking is coming. It won't be a day where they get to sit in heaven and watch the world burn. No, they are going to be part of that day here on earth and they will be left wondering why they are here dealing with the lawlessness. Because their perceived watchmen are giving them the wrong message. They're, giving the, they're not even blowing the horn. They're, not, they're just not doing what's necessary to be done. They're not giving the truth. They're not giving God's word. And they will be part of, of that day here on earth and they will be left wondering why they are here dealing with all the lawlessness. One more thing before we move on. Is God saying He hates the laws and commands that He put in place that He gave man? Or is He saying instead He hates the celebrations of man's holidays over His own? Or can it be he hates the way that they celebrate his days? A different perspective on this. If you let's read that same scripture, and you can't read it. I'll read it to you. It's in the Lexham English Septuagint, and we'll begin in verse twenty-one. He says, "I have hated and rejected your feast. I have not." Smelled the sacrifice on your holy days. For if you brought me to your whole uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices, I would not accept them. I would not, I with envy, your, your saving manifestations. Remove from me the sound of your songs, and I will not listen to the sound of your instruments. And judgment will roll along like water, and righteousness will, will uh, like an impassable brook. Did you bring me offerings and sacrifices in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? And you took along the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Kaiwan, and the image of them that you made for yourself? Wow. Kind of enforces what, what I was saying. And who this is, This is Jeroboam. This is Amos talking to Jeroboam. When Israel and the house of Judah split. And, and Jeroboam took and set up golden calves in the northern part of Israel. And he, and he said, these are your gods here. And he put God's temples in conjunction with pagan deities. And told the people to worship them. And it makes sense if you know the history of the northern Israel at that time that he set up these pagan golden calves to be worshipped. He Jeroboam established a religious holiday on the 15th day of the 8th month. 
And on that day, he would go to Bethel and sacrifice on the altar of God a golden, uh, or the, I'm sorry, this, on the altar of the golden calf. My point is, there's a complete lawlessness done in the name of God. And we should be pointing that out more fervently than ever before. Especially when we see what is happening today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 through 12. Because this is a prophecy. This is, we are told these days are coming. We shouldn't be talking about preparing for them. We should be talking about how to implement what we prepared for. He says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know that what restrains him now, so that it, in his time, he will be revealed. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And they're talking about Satan here. They're, taking about, they're talking about Satan as being the lawless one. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work, and only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and with the power of signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of the wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the, the love of the truth so as to be saved. In verse 11, for this reason God will send upon them deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. And we see a lot of people taking pleasure in wickedness. And they don't hide it. They don't hide it. And I'm not talking about just the street. I'm talking about what's on TV. I'm talking about in, in simple commercials on TV. They have gotten just perverted and filthy. It's a world being led off the cliff by a lie, by a deceiver. By delusions. And we see, we're told in Scripture, who's behind all the chaos that we're seeing in the world today. It's Satan. And I, I wasn't talking about George Soros. I know a lot of people think that's him. But let's read some more. One, one more Scripture as in Amos and see what he tells us about times like this. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine upon the land, not a famine for bread or thirst or water, but rather for the hearing of the, of the words of God, of, of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they will go to and from and seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And in that day, beautiful virgins, the young men, will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, as in the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. So he says there's going to be a thirst. There's going to be a famine of God's word. And that's truly what we see in the world today. 
And I, I wish God's word was, was a bucket and we could just hand it out in bucket loads to people. But they could be dying of spiritual thirst and they pour that bucket out on the ground. Because they would reject it. The people were running around seeking God. They're running around seeking answers. They're running around seeking whatever they can find that, that they can put their trust in. And nobody's sounding the alarm, not the true alarm. And God can't be found in most social circles. Not the true God. And that, that's a crying shame. That's a literal shame. Is it because we're not speaking up? Is it because the world isn't willing to hear? You'll have to be the judge. The true God of this world is not chaos. He is not the God of chaos. So it's Satan who has disseminated this. He is the creature and the emphasis behind the misery that we see in this world today and the deception and the lies and everything else we see in this world today. And we have to do everything in our ability to stand up and make that known. He loves it when he sees hatred stirred up. He loves it when he sees people suffering. Because they want to blame it on God. But we as God's people, we, we do well to heed the warnings from the prophets. The people of the world would do well to heed the warnings of the prophets. But sadly, Satan has effectively shut the books on them for the people of the world. But he hasn't shut the books up for God's people. It's time we earn our talents from God. And it's time that when there's darkness in society like it is today, we shine like a beacon on the hill. Yeah. In the middle of chaos, we should be the calm that people seek. We see all these predictions in the Bible. We see all these things that are happening. We see all these things occurring in our society. And we understand what is supposed to happen. But we can't let apathy set in. We can't fall asleep on our watch. All We need to be the saving hand that reaches down and we pluck one person at a time out of, out of the waters of chaos and save them from drowning in this world. We need to be that hand that they grab onto. Pulling them out of the lawlessness into the kingdom of God. 